0: This is Dialogue with Drake and Dabu. My name is Emma Drake.
1: And I am Sweta Dabu. This is the podcast where we talk about all things policy, politics, and pop culture. Our topic for today is the Election Age Act, a bill currently on the floor of the Legislative Assembly that proposes the lowering of the voting age from 18 to 16 in municipal and provincial elections on PEI. Voting enfranchisement has undergone a significant evolution in Canada from the days when only men over the age of 21 who are property owners could vote and present themselves as candidates federally. Voting rights up to the late 1800s have excluded large portions of the population, including indigenous peoples, women, and numerous racial and religious groups. In 1885, the establishment of a federal franchise extended voting rights to certain indigenous peoples, based on property ownership but with criteria differing between provinces.
0: Looking at women's rights to vote, Manitoba was the first province in Canada to enfranchise women in 1916 and Quebec was the last in 1940. It was only in 1918 that the right to vote was extended to women aged 21 and over federally, but it was only in 1921 that they became eligible to run in the House of Commons. We had to wait until as recently as 1948 for property ownership to be completely eliminated as a criterion to vote and for voting rights to be extended to Asian Canadians.
1: While Inuit people have been able to vote since 1953, in theory, it is 1960 that saw the passing of the Canada Elections Act, which allowed indigenous peoples living on reserves to vote. In 1970, the voting age was lowered from 21 to 18 years. The right to vote and run for elections was however only extended to all citizens in 1982 with the establishment of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms.
0: You know, over the last number of years, there have been numerous debates in several provinces and at the federal level to lower the voting age from 18 to 16. In PEI specifically, 16-year-olds have been able to vote in the 2016 plebiscite on democratic renewal and was the first province in Canada to do so. It was in 2017 that lowering the voting age was first debated in the Legislative Assembly with an introduction of a private member's bill that did not pass. Back to the
1: present, in fall 2020, the Election Age Act was introduced in PEI, looking at lowering the voting age yet again. After much debate, this bill did not pass and was sent back for further consultations. In spring 2021, it is once again on the floor and has
0: undergone a first reading. Now, to chat with us today about the Election Age Act, are two special guests. First is a sponsor of the Election Age Act, the opposition critic for education and lifelong learning and the status of women, local dog mom, and MLA for Charlottetown Victoria Park, MLA Carla Bernard. And second, our first ever two-time dialogue guest, fireball enthusiast, movie lover, and policy wizard, Nate Hood well hello folks
1: thank you so much for agreeing to guest on the on the podcast today uh, our first question to you is and I'll start with you carla how are you
2: I'm doing very well thank you it's uh the sun has been shining so much lately and every year I'm always surprised by how much more how much I'm energized by the sun even though it happens every year and I'm very excited that I got I heard my very first cheeseburger bird, bird like a week and a half ago so I'm still That's always a big highlight for me in the spring. And so I'm gonna ride that wave for a little while. The snow is a little discouraging, but it won't last. So very good, thank you.
1: Awesome, and our second guest, of course, is Nate, who is also the first guest on Dialogue to be here twice. So how are you, Nate?
3: I'm doing well, I'm I'm happy spring is here. Although it might not look that way outside, but I'm sure it'll look a little bit more like spring in the next week or two.
0: Awesome. Now I have to ask Carla before we get into our first official question. I'm not sure if I know what a cheeseburger bird is.
2: If I heard that correct, what is that? <laughs> okay, this is so funny because I call it that. I think it's it's like a a chickadee, but they make the sound. And it's the. the do you want me to make the sound for you? Where do they go? Like cheeseburger. <laughs> it's kind of how they sound. And I always thought this is so funny, but in my mind, I always thought it was so convenient because in April, when we host Burger Love on PEI, it always the bird, I always hear the bird around there. And I'm like, that is really free, cheap advertising for Burger Love. <laughs> it reminds you of cheeseburgers as soon as you wake up in the morning. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I don't think I've ever heard quite an
0: explanation about either A, birds, or B, burger love. Nonetheless, the two together. So um, I'll definitely be keeping an eye out for those cheeseburger birds myself. So, uh <laughs> right on thank you for that so we'll jump right into it um carla in last fall you folks presented uh, bill 122 of course the election age act so our first question is for listeners what is the election age act what does it set out to achieve and why did you bring this forward
2: yeah so so this act um sets to bring forward uh lowering the voting age from 18 years of age to 16 And one thing that we know about about that is that when we improve conditions for young people, we improve conditions for everyone. Mm. And so that kind of sets the tone for this. And if if we look to the United Nations Conventions on the Rights of the Child, it refers to the fact that many um, and many laws and regulations must change as what we uh, as the data and the research changes. And so um, if we look and consider the best interests of youth, um, what we understand and know about how youth brains develop, their skills, their capacity, maturity levels, uh, how they handle responsibility, how they handle stress, problem solving, all those things has changed and grown significantly Mm. over the years. And so we know that the youth brain is that it's at, the youth brain is the most innovative brain. And, you know, I don't under, you know, we should be really be harnessing this innovation right now in a time where our societal issues are huge, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and often called wicked problems as we consider poverty and climate change. You know, if we, if, if we had extended the right to vote to youth, would we still be arguing whether climate change was real or not? Mm -hmm. You know, um, and so all of those different things that, that we consider and, and And the last thing I'll say about this is that, for me, it's about instilling hope for our youth. Um, Youth have a strong voice, they always have, yet their needs and values go completely unrepresented. Mm. And so we're teaching them to be kind and empathetic and to care about social issues and to be literate, critical thinkers. And and then we, the voters, continue to, to elect leaders who display the complete opposite of a lot of these skills. And and are downright bullies at times. And so, you know, we're not doing the greatest job of of leading by example and because we know better as adults. And so we really need them um, and their voices more than ever. And so that might, and and one last thing I'll say I, I, is that the habit-forming part of, of voting, right? Mm-hmm. Never again will we have the opportunity to have the majority of our youth under one roof, you know, many of them still living with their parents where they can have that... Um, facilitated conversation and one MLA, well, as we were discussing this brought forward and, and he said, you know, yeah, but nobody, you know, driving, you know, you can't learn to drive by yourself. So how would we expect 16 year olds to vote by themselves? And I said, that's actually a really great comparison because, you um, 16 year olds need to learn how to drive. And so they need someone sitting beside them for a little while. And the same could be said for voting. It's our responsibility to teach them about their opportunities, their responsibilities in our current democratic system. And so I just think that it it, it just makes sense at this point in time. And um, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I
1: think you make a really good point too. Um, and even when we look at, you know, where the era in which we're evolving right now, You know, even comparing it to when I was 16 year old and, you know, the whole family was sharing one computer with dial up Internet, whereas now everyone has a computer in their pocket. The amount of information that is available to youth today is really ridiculous. And it's really not something I think we could have envisioned 10 years in the past. So absolutely, youth are completely, you know, able to make these informed decisions every day and we see the level of engagement as well. Now, the discussion around lowering the voting age on PEI was first brought up in April 2017 uh, by then the only elected Green Party member, Peter Bevan Baker who introduced a private member's bill in the Legislative Assembly. This had been following a recommendation to lower the voting age to 16 by a report from the New Brunswick Commission on Electoral Reform. Um, He had said at the time that while he had low hopes for the bill actually passing, he hoped to encourage debate. Now, Nate, do you find that the debate generated at the time was productive?
3: I guess if, if the bill didn't pass, it might not have been a very productive debate. <laughs> um, but no, I, I don't think it was. I was definitely disappointed with the way the debate had gone. Um, in fact, I remember being so angry at the time that I ended up writing a letter to the Guardian expressing my my dissatisfaction. But a lot of the discussion was around, you know, my kids have messy bedrooms or, you know, some of these kids could be young offenders. and you know, do we really want those kinds of people in our legislative assembly? And they really framed the discussion quite negatively towards young people. And that's what I found particularly frustrating, because young people listen to these debates, and they see these debates happening. And it's very demoralizing for them, because elected officials are supposed to be Where I would hope they'd be striving to, you know, represent the best interests of children um, that they would believe in our children and you know that just seemed totally divorced from that notion. Uh, So it it was disappointed and I think it's tough because a lot of people, I would say, are not particularly informed uh, of the reasons for lowering the voting age and the science that goes along with supporting that. Um, And even the evidence that we have from other jurisdictions where they've Mm -hmm. implemented a lower voting age and you know how that's affected democracy in in those jurisdictions, you know, without that kind of context, you really leave the discussion to people's own feelings and that's particularly Mm -hmm. difficult when you're having a discussion about rights, because these people have nothing to gain or lose from expanding rights for young people, but young people are certainly the ones who have something you know to gain or to lose so uh that's difficult as well to have the people who would be affected by these decisions not in the room um, for those discussions and certainly that's something that uh, children's advocacy groups have noted as you know one of the main problems of young people not having the right to vote is that they don't have a voice in those decisions
0: You bring up a lot of good points. And the first one is around that oftentimes when this debate comes up, it defers to a belittling process, you know, and this isn't the first time that we've seen um, any opportunity that um, the Legislative Assembly has had to extend democratic rights, for example, to women or, for example, to indigenous folks that the first reaction is a belittling process. For example, you know, well, um, they're not smart enough. They can't make an informed decision, they're X, Y, Z. Um, And it's exactly what you said, Nate, like people defer to what their emotions are, their feelings are towards that particular group because inherently that's not them if they haven't, if you're looking at a process to extend those rights. And there's a big divorce between Who's in the decision making capacity and who's actually impacted by it. Um, And I think there's a there's a kind of root problem with that, the fact that youth aren't at the table. But one thing, Carla, that you folks did was when you brought forward this bill, the Election Age Act. You worked with Oliver Bachelor, who's a local high school student, um, and so that was really interesting because a youth was at the table at the legislative assembly when this was brought up. So, including Oliver, you know, what were some other groups or individuals that you folks worked with or consulted with on this bill?
2: Yeah, so so yes, I thank you for for bringing up Oliver. He was he was someone that I that I wanted to bring up um, during this interview because he was such a strong voice for this and so well spoken and so articulate and just a real driving force behind this and really um took kind of took the bull by the horns and made videos and he was on um, island morning and and all of those things and so we reached out and engaged with with various groups some um some i was not to to uh, provide feedback some was positive some was uh, i'll use con- Constructive, um, and you know some some support, some who did not support, uh, and so I'll, I'll just list off the groups, and then and then maybe talk a little bit about it. But so we had elections PEI, we had various, we reached out to all the student councils across the province, and even had some staff respond to us as well. Uh, we reached out to the Commission scolaire langue française and the public schools branch, Young Voters of PEI, the PEI. Col- Coalition for Women in Government, uh, Own the Way, Native Council of PEI, the Federation of Municipalities, uh, the Child and Youth Advocate Office, the Child and Youth Advisory Committee of the PEI Office of the Child and Youth Advocate, um, as well as various individuals, wow. adult and youth, wow. uh, and then finally, all 26 MLA. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So I, I'll just jump into something that you said, Emma, because I think that this is really important. When it comes to extending the franchise, it's not the question, should they get the right to vote? We've already established that they are perfectly capable and competent and, and they can handle that responsibility. So it's really challenging to figure out how far and wide do you consult? How do you keep the, the scope narrow? Because you don't want to open it up to belittling mm-hmm. and and some of the things that some of the consultation processes i saw out of this were really disturbing and i think you know how can you not be considering the impacts of this you know if this were to pass you're going to have a whole a group of voters who are going to see how you've treated them and how you've how you've approached them getting the vote Mm -hmm. um and so you know as we consider giving women the vote or indigenous peoples the vote as you said you know if you're trying to give women the vote are you going ask? men or organizations run by men, it doesn't impact them. Mm-hmm. And so same with indigenous people, if you're asking white people, it that doesn't, it's not something that impacts them. And so with a piece of legislation like this, that, that is really dealing with human rights, um, you really need to make sure that you're in that scope, mm-hmm. and and so that that I think is challenging for people to understand, mm-hmm. um, both inside of the the legislature as well, and so uh, just something really to to try to wrap your head around. Mm-hmm absolutely and
1: and it's a good point you don't make decisions for people without having the people at the table to be able to say how it impacts them because you can have the best of intentions but at the end of the day without the lived experience it can have a completely different impact than what was originally intended. Now, one interesting aspect of the election age act is that it clearly only refers to the lowering of the voting age and not the lowering of the age at which folks can actually run for elections. And we saw that this was brought up in the house a few times as well, where during debates, folks were mentioning, you know, if we're lowering voting age, why aren't we lowering the age at which people can run? Now, Nate, was this a conscious effort to separate voting age from running age? And what were some considerations that went into
3: this? It's a good question. And and certainly one that I think is is worth asking. One of the challenges when you're designing this legislation and really any kind of legislation is you want to look at the evidence that's available. And we were able to find lots of research around the ability of young people to vote Mm -hmm. um, and the experience of allowing young people to vote in other jurisdictions. But there is very little Evidence or research on uh, young people running as candidates. And I've also noticed in looking at various stakeholder groups, um, like the submission from UNICEF Canada or, or other groups, they all focus on lowering the voting age, but there's not really much of a discussion about lowering the age to run as a candidate. So I think based on the information that we had available, we thought it made sense to lower the voting age. And I think lowering the voting age already is uh, super contentious. I think for many reasons, whether they're valid or not, um, you know, it's hard enough to try to, to lower the voting age. Um, in some ways, you know, the lowering the age to run, I think is a, it, another conversation, certainly one that's worth having. And certainly one I hope we see, you know, research on, um, but mainly it was, you know, the, the literature we had, um, didn't really touch on it. So we felt it was appropriate to to, to focus on the area where we had that um that academic literature and that you know international experience to draw on
1: mm-hmm. absolutely and carla did you have anything you wanted to add to that
2: yeah um so one of the um one of the things that that we looked at was uh, a national uh, study that had been done, and Nate, Nate referred to it. Our sorry national consultation that had been conducted by Youth, and I left all of my papers at work. And meant to write this down. I can't remember the name of the organization. Children First Canada. So it was a, a nationwide uh, consultation process that had been conducted, and three. Three main things came out of that, three recommendations. And one was, and I I will add that this consultation was done in March and April of 2020. So it's very recent. Um, So it was to indeed lower the voting age. And then the second part was to ensure that education reflected that because one of the problems is that our our youth are just not prepared at that age because there's no education. So we really need to beef up our civics education. And the third one was that we need to educate adults, understand that this is not this is not a a question of, you know, can we handle it or can we should we do it, but so a really uh, a campaign to educate adults on 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 it, which I found was really interesting and something that they said about the age of running, it was reflected by most of them that they felt that their job was to go to school. And so they wanted to make sure that that they had that opportunity first before they they moved on. That wasn't, you know, that was that was certainly a part of the discussion. Children First Canada was the name of the organization that that um, that conducted that nationwide consultation, with and they provided an executive summary that is a quick read that's really interesting and and captures the thoughts of youth across the country.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and you know, you mentioned again that you conducted extensive consultations. You gave us a very long list earlier. And one of the uh, elements of that list was all 26 MLAs. So this spring sitting, you reintroduced the Election Age Act as Bill 100, and this has undergone a first reading this week. You mentioned that in the House on Thursday, March 25th, that you had reached out to different MLAs by email to ask them about their concerns with regards to this bill. What kind of concerns were brought forward and has the discussion that has happened in the House been reflected uh, you know, in those emails?
2: Uh, that's a great question. So I really wanted to, because we brought it forth in the last session, and we didn't get a chance to to bring it to a vote or or figure out a way to move forward. I knew that that was going to be a few months of time that I didn't want us to waste, mm. and by not doing anything on it, um, you know, I I really was concerned about that. So I thought, hey, why don't I try maybe something a little bit different and reach out to all MLA? So I I sent three separate emails on three separate occasions and and so basically the first time I reached out and said here's a list of the people that I'm engaging with if there's any organizations you would like like to add please let us know if you would like to do it on your own here is all the the information all of of my tools if you will Mm. uh like you know in terms of questions and stuff like that please use it and feel free to add it to our feedback and we'll be in we'll be Sure, to make sure that you know that this is an open, transparent process. So then I reached out again to share the documents, the Canada first um, uh, consultation and the United Nations Conventions on the Rights of the Child submission on lowering the voting age and and another policy paper uh, that was that was done. And so I, I wanted to ensure that they had lots of time to read that so that they were coming into the discussion with that um, with that background knowledge and, and having set the context a little bit. And then I reached out a third time to make sure, you know, hey, just a reminder, if there's anyone else, you know, if there's anything you need, because I really wanted to not waste time. And so um, when we got that, I, I didn't hear, I heard from, from three different MLAs um, and they were just kind of really quick questions. And so then, so what I've seen since is that, you know, that, you know, in this new one we brought it forward on Thursday a couple of them said you know we support this in theory but um, and and then so one of one of the things was there was a, con- a, sh- a concern shared that you know consultation was part of the consultation was conducted over email but then this MLA went on to say that they conducted their consultation over Facebook so email's okay, not okay but Facebook is so you know that that was a little bit of a of a curveball. Um, and then also a few MLAs have kind of shown through their actions that they, that they um they're against this bill. And so when we're as MLAs embarking on consultation, for me personally, it comes down to your values and understanding that consultation is an unbiased process. Mm. And so some MLAs kind of went on Facebook and and spewed what they think about it and and even said lies about me. Um, And, and I, as a constituent, I put myself in their constituent shoes and thought, if I didn't agree with this, I wouldn't go forward. So I would not, I would not be a descending voice on that potentially if I didn't feel safe. Mm. And so I think that that's a real disappointment, maybe not quite to your question, but I think that it's important that, that, that be said. Um, So a couple of the the concerns, so no, no real concerns shared with me at all over Facebook and so they were all brought to the floor and and I did kind of let people know that I was disappointed that this happened and that we could have worked this all out so two things that that were seen as a problem was that one um, consultation hadn't been done with one specific department which you know under under a minister would be up to them to bring forward any any um any concerns from their departments Mm. and the other one was a question on had we consulted a lawyer because they wanted to know if there might be any legal implications because of this and and um we an article that we had stumbled upon had talked about the fact that uh you know in the United Nations Conventions on the Rights of the Child it says that our as our understanding changes and grows that So do certain laws and regulations, as I mentioned before. And that, in fact, by the information that we do have, not lowering the voting age uh, could be considered discrimination and unconstitutional. Mm. Um, And so it just really concerned me that we're having these conversations now because it just feels like we're kicking this down the road. And, you know, I can't help but have these questions inside of me, like, what are we scared of? What is it that they're scared of in this? You know, we talk the beautiful word collaboration and how collaborate, you know, how our governments are co- collaborating so well together all the time. And, and and I just think that this is a prime example that shows under our current political structure that collaboration is near impossible. And, you know, MLAs want to be seen as doing their homework, which I, I completely get. And so the public debate in the House is really important. A I minute mean, matters, but I just feel like this is a real holdup in terms of time. You know, we could have worked these things all out and then brought the discussion to the house would have been a little bit different in terms of what people contributed and all of that. So if partisanship could truly be put aside for, for decisions <laughs> like this, it will be a really great opportunity to lead the country by implementing a policy that makes things better for everyone. And and I have a hard time um you know, disputing the fact that that this could strengthen democracy and change priorities. And, uh, you know, I'm a big picture thinker. And so I find it sometimes I have a hard time understanding kind of the nitty gritty things because I just see the ripple effects and I see the potential of yeah. this. And, and I think that all of those other questions are just, you know, due process. And they're things that we can work out. I don't think that we can use, oh, you know, oh, but we don't know the process as an excuse not to implement this. Just because something's hard doesn't mean we don't do it.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And Nathan, did you have anything you wanted to add to this?
3: Yeah, one thing I did notice when we were discussing consultation on the floor is that there are a lot of questions around, have you consulted these groups or people who would basically be adults? There was not a lot of discussion about, you know, which young people did you speak to or which youth advocates did you speak to? and i think that kind of speaks to part of the challenge which is that we are talking about the rights of children and again they seem to be totally removed from that discussion and there doesn't seem to be any push because we would certainly love to talk about that um but you know they are the people whose rights are in question those are the people we should be supporting and if there are administrative challenges associated with implementing those rights you know i think the priority should be on the right itself instituting the right and then having the administration of that right flow from it like to me it would be crazy to think that 100 years ago you know should we give women the right to vote well i don't know how we would do that we you know we'd have to register a lot of women to vote or or things like that like those concerns are pretty minor you know in relation to whether they should have the franchise or not
0: And it's interesting you bring that up because I think oftentimes people equate enfranchising policies as other forms of policies. Um, So for example, you know, how will we do this or what is the process for this? And while yes, that is important, that's a whole other type of conversation because yes, if you agree from a, a... Human rights perspective, or from a democratic perspective, that these rights should be enfranchised. It's not a question of, well, how will we do it? It's of yes, we will do this and um, conversation. So I think it's perhaps a lack of understanding too in in, in terms of different types of policies, um, perhaps to give people the benefit of the doubt on this conversation. Um, but moving over to uh, another kind of focus area in the concerns that you folks have experienced is, one of the major items that was brought up, Nate, and especially a number of years ago, uh, the first time when this was brought up, and of course, we've heard similar remnants to this this time and in the fall was, well, 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds can't make informed decisions. And that even in some cases, people have belittled this voice and equated it to young people's ability to clean their room, uh, which again, is, is a belittling process and is totally inappropriate. Um, Nate, what's the science behind young people's ability to make informed decisions?
3: Well, I think there's two aspects. There's first the science, and then second the law. So I'll start with the science. We've there we've seen over the last, you know, 20, 30 years a lot more focus on adolescent development and, and research on adolescent development. And there has been research done on the ability of 16 and 17 year olds to vote. And, you know, a very useful part of this has been that other jurisdictions have adopted um, a voting age of 16, which allows us to study um, this, and, and also I think just more generally adolescent development. Um, they have defined development in two ways, hot cognition and cold cognition. So hot cognition is how people uh, react under emotionally arousing circumstances, like tough times, challenging circumstances. and cold cognition deals with people's ability to think rationally um, and to you know, consider options and, and make an informed decision um, without you know, much pressure. And what the academics have found is that the cold cognition abilities are pretty much developed by the time you're 16. So the ability to make an informed decision is developed by the time you're 16. And they say explicitly in the legislation you know that would include things like casting a ballot hot cognition on the other hand takes some more time um, to develop Um, but that is not a you would not use that kind of cognition when you're making a decision to vote Um, so basically the science says that they have the ability to make those informed decisions and cast a ballot right But if we want to look at the law, I mean, and there's a a couple of places to look at this. Um, Like Carla had referenced earlier in the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, um, Article 12 says state parties shall, shall assure to the child who is capable of forming his or her own views the right to express those views freely in all matters affecting the child, the views of the child being given due weight in accordance with the age and maturity of the child. And we already do have in various pieces of legislation lower ages to reflect the maturity of children um you know i know there we we talk about being able to um to get married at 16 um, to have sex at 16. Um, you're not protected by you know youth employment legislation so you mm-hmm. can work later hours or a little bit more unusual hours mm-hmm. um, and even there's a, a common law doctrine called the mature minor doctrine. And this has been around um, for a few decades, but the notion is, in fact, that in some cases, minors are mature enough to be able to make um, decisions about you know, their own healthcare, as an example. Absolutely. There are young people who can make life or death decisions about their own healthcare. Mm. Um, and of course, you it, it's very difficult to make a a hard cutoff, right? And I think that's what the convention recognizes and also the mature minor doctrine recognizes Um, because some people will be mature earlier, um, but you don't want to have an arbitrary age cutting them off. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that is in some ways, you know, the challenge of setting an age for voting, right? And it's, it's an interesting conversation. Where do you set it? And certainly we've set it based on the evidence that we've been able to find But the idea with setting those ages is that they should not be set arbitrarily. Right. And normally, when we do set ages for young people, it's to protect young people from harm. And so, good examples would be the age to consume alcohol or to smoke. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to raise those ages um, because we know that the consumption of those substances can impair the brain development of youth. So, there's a valid reason to set those ages a bit further. Or, you know, if you're talking about criminal justice, the reason why you wouldn't be tried as an adult until you're 18 or older is because young people have better prospects for rehabilitation. And if they get a criminal record that can have profound impacts um, on their career and on their future life trajectory. And it's desirable in society to protect Mm -hmm. young people from those. So there are reasons to set those age limits higher. But when you look at something like the the right to vote. Well, they already have the intellectual capacity to make those decisions. And it's not in the best interest to use an age that's later than those capacities develop because now you're harming the child. It's not in the best interest of the child because now they don't have a voice in the matters that affect them. They can't vote for their elected representation and who they feel would be the best advocate for young people and, and their interests. So, in fact, the the current age, I think, could be quite easily argued. You know, is is not um, it, it, well? It's not protecting children; it's harming children.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: you know, there there are court challenges. I know there's one in Ontario. Um, there's some law students who are preparing a constitutional challenge to the current voting age at at 18. And um, you know, I think that'll be one of the big challenges. It, can you argue that 18 is reasonable as a limit? in light of the evidence that shows that you are able to make these decisions at the age of 16. Mm -hmm. and i mean i guess if you really want to get into then then it becomes a problem because if the the court challenge is successful then you possibly have on your books age restrictions that are unconstitutional right and then that's a big problem right because Mm -hmm. then you think well what if you have an election coming up soon you know now you need to rush to make sure that those um, youth are able to to register to vote and to do all that. So I think it's best to follow the evidence. We can set an age of 16. I believe that's totally reasonable and aligned with the evidence and aligned with the best interest of the child because it's much more in the interest of the child than it is with the current age of 18. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really just think it's simply the, the right thing to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of evidence there, I, I think for folks to consider. Um... That's really, I think, important in this discussion. Now, if it if the bill is to pass, um, I have a two-prong question here, one question for you each. And please feel free to jump in on each other's as well. Um, so if the bill were to pass, how would you describe these changes, Nate, from a policy perspective? Is this bill a major policy change, or is it a minor policy change that has simply gotten a lot of attention, as you have mentioned before, because perhaps that it is contentious in nature?
3: Yeah, I I don't think it's a major policy change in the sense that, that you're only talking about a few thousand people who would be gaining the right to vote. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, in practice, what's really going to happen is people can register earlier to vote and they can vote earlier in their lives. Uh, But ultimately you will have more electors in, in the very, in, at the provincial level and at the municipal level. And, you know, you never see, for example, when we had the, maybe you should come home campaign, there was never any outcry that, uh Oh, we'll have to register these people as voters. Do we really want to make sure they come back to PEI? That seems like a lot of work. (laughs) And we don't know where they're going to settle. And what if they settle in a small municipality? How are we going to help them register? Um, no, they they have a right to vote, mm. right? And we will figure out how to get them registered, and we will do that. And there are organizations in PEI who are there to help assist, you know, people to, to register to vote. But, you know, none of those administrative aspects should compromise that right to, to vote. You know, it... It's tough because I think this also unfortunately gets framed in a political sense as well. Mm -hmm. Um, That, you know, I certainly hear a lot of well, of course, the Green Party would want these young people voting, they will vote for the Green Party. But in fact, there's evidence out there that shows that whenever we lowered the voting age last federally, there was no partisan impact. And if you want to take it further to the local context, we run an, a, a mock election, every election cycle, every provincial election cycle through civics. And if I remember correctly, and obviously we've had some changes in the, the legislative assembly since the last general election, mm-hmm. but I believe around two thirds of the members who are in the house presently won their civic election in the 2019 election. Mm -hmm. So, and that doesn't include, you know, people who might have placed second by one vote, which obviously wouldn't have turned the tide in the general election. But, you know, most of these people would still win their elections. They're still popular. And ultimately, it's hard to say who young people would vote for, because right now, politicians don't have to take into consideration the needs of children in elections. They have no incentive to develop a platform that speaks to high school students, for example. And, you know, if a party chooses not to do anything to address the needs of young people, then sure, people probably won't vote for them. Um, but that's something that you would need to to test. Every party would have to work for their votes.
0: Launch padding off of that, Nate, and, and over to you, Carla. How do you feel this bill will impact the Democratic process on PEI, you know, do you feel this is a major change in terms of extending that right? Or do you feel it's a minor change in the grand scheme of things?
2: I think that this is a extremely minor change with major impacts. And I just think, you know, if we want to make our island better, if we want to make our world better, we need to check our foundation. And to me, our foundation are our children. And so any chance I get to, and this all is so connected to me. So any chance I get to stand on my soapbox and talk about early intervention and prevention for our children, and play-based learning, and mm. honoring brain development, and and you know a good sexual health curriculum, and mm-hmm. you know um, the right literacies in school, like life skills, and you know learning to do your taxes and in, in math. You know, <laughs> so, <laughs> to me, all of these things are so connected, and we're not really doing a great job at them. No. There's a lot. I mean, there's we have competent, uh, capable, dedicated, passionate staff, and and the our, the system in which they work kind of goes against what we know about children, and so if we really honored all of those things and and really um made sure that our children were growing healthily and that they were set up to reach their the, their success, whatever that means for them because it's different mm-hmm. for everyone um, that we would really be considering this and that we would we would understand that that youth having a voice I mean like we talked about earlier, you know we're picking this age because that's kind of where the where the science is right now. so so going by that, you know this is all, part of that is giving them a voice. And so we talk about it all the time, we're talking about the Premier's Youth Council, we're talking about all the different youth councils, yet they were not named as a, you know, as, as, as the group, as groups to consult. And, and, you know, it it just seems to me that um, if we, if we really were honest, and we faced the truth that we're in trouble. You know, we have a lot of really big problems that no one wants to bite off and chew. And, and it's so discouraging to me because I I can't help but, but think to myself, you know, that, that people are worried about the, about, you know, re-election and, and what this will do to them politically. And,
0: Mm. and I
2: think that we really need to consider what, what not supporting this does, does to us. Um, And I think that, you know, as we consider all of the issues that are really important to young people, we mentioned some of them early, but earlier mental health and education, affordable housing, student debt. And as we consider things like racism and xenophobia Mm -hmm. and sexism and all of those things, if we extend the franchise to our young people, then this is going to force political parties to change their policies. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just like Nate said, you know, you hear all the time, you're just doing this because you're a member of the Green Party. And I'm just thinking to myself, you know, like, it's that's so funny to me because, you know, these are things that have always been kind of a part of our a part of our platform and and even the way we divided our platform in terms of um, short term visions, long term visions and what is the big picture. You know, those are things that that can lead us to look down the future and there's not a decision that we make right now that doesn't impact our youth because these are all decisions about our future and especially now with the pandemic
0: mm-hmm. and
2: the recovery from that they're going to be a big part of our economic recovery and they're going to be a big part of our of our culture shift and our social changes and so i just think that by not adding them into this you know we're not we're not helping any political parties when when uh when um what's the word I'm looking for, but win popularity with the youth when they're not reflecting what they care about and when they're talking about them in such devaluing ways.
0: Right, yeah. And Nate, did you have something to add to that as well?
3: Yeah, I mean, just to kind of wrap it around to the start, I think the big question that needs to be asked, does voting down this legislation advance the best interests of children on PEI? I think fundamentally that's the big question of this legislation because that's the intent of the legislation is to ensure that these young people who have the ability to express their views. The evidence shows that, you know, we have common law considerations that show that they have the ability to make these decisions. So how is it in their best interest to deprive them of their ability to exercise their voice in those considerations Mm
0: -hmm. i think that's an awesome awesome point to end on thank you for that
2: and carla did you have something else to add um i was just going to to kind of add on to that and say one of the things that i that i wrote down as i was considering this um this podcast today. And it's a question from uh, a movie and I can't remember. I have the worst memory when it comes to remembering movie titles and, and anyway, so the question was, it was an edu- movie on education. And the question was, how do you want history to remember you? And I watched the movie when I was probably, I would have been in high school. And so that's something that a question that has been part of my m- my my moving forward and and many of the decisions I make, that question will pop into my head. And I think that as a province, we need to think about that. You know, the, the idea was brought forward. So now what are we going to do with it? And how do we want what side of history do we want to be on? How do we want history to remember us here? And it's not like, you know, it's not something that's done in a in a lot of jurisdictions yet. But I know that there was just a bill tabled by Elizabeth May at the federal level to lower the voting age. I know uh Senator McFedron has been advocating for this in the Senate and uh, there's different provinces in Canada that are that have been talking about this for a long time and are and are starting to have those conversations again and I think that you know we have a chance to be to be ahead of the curve because I think it's not a matter of if they're going to get the vote it's a matter of when and the longer we continue to kick this down the road, the more harm we do to our youth, and the more harm we do to their futures. And I and I think that that's really important for us to remember. And 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 you know, and 16-year-olds voting is not new. You know, they did it in the plebiscite. We also allow 14-year-olds to vote in our to elect leaders of our provincial parties. So we already we already give that to them. But then it's okay to give it to them in certain situations. But then oh oh no no not here. Not here. And I, I I just um I just think we just have a unique opportunity to, to get ahead of something that's going to happen. And and we could be one of the first.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. And those were very insightful responses from the both of you. Thank you so much, Carla and Nate. Um, you were talking and I was just thinking of my favorite musical, which is Hamilton. And one of the lines in there, too, is history has its size on you. And I always think of that as well. Now, this concludes the fun part of our interview. Uh, we're going to move on to the very serious part now, which is the beer panel. Just for our listeners, you know, as always, every week we ask our guests to recommend beers or recipes, restaurants, anything. And before we started recording this episode, Carla, you had mentioned that you were nervous about the beer panel because you didn't know what to recommend. And so let's just start with you then what beer would you like to recommend to our listeners today
2: all right well i've got i've got a three different recommendations today and and okay. i was telling um sweta and emma before we started this was the question i was nervous about and i'm like I, there's so many choices <laughs> and i would i have to mention as when the pandemic started and we started seeing um our craft breweries really get innovative and and go online and deliver and so My husband, who is extremely generous, decided that he was going to take it upon himself to save every craft brewery on PEI. And so (laughs) we started started ordering, like, every different kind of beer that they had. And you should have seen our cold room during the pandemic. I would have put that up against anyone's collection. Um, So we've tried quite a few. So I'm going (laughs) to one of my favorites it's a seasonal beer but it's it's by upstreet and it's great day Mm. that's one of my all-time favorites i can't wait for that one to come out and the other one um that i really really liked was is shine the international women's day beer it's so delicious and so you know coincidentally I started to think and those are both by Upstreet and so I'm going to take this opportunity to give a shout out and congratulations to Upstreet who won the Mm. Charlottetown Area Chamber of Commerce Workplace Excellence Award Mm. and so um, really great work and pivot and innovative and all of those things Um, and the other little recommendation I'm going to make is um, so, you know, how at the hop yard who also, they also won, they wore the emerging business excellence award from the Charlotte area of Commerce. congratulations. And they have the <laughs> rotating menu. So every two weeks, you know, it's a new menu, but what they never fail to deliver hardcore on is their excellent cauliflower dishes. Mm. Yes, they're so good. And every time we go, we always order the cauliflower dishes and they never disappoint. So those would be, um, three of my recommendations. They, and i'll give you new ones tomorrow if you want I
1: think, <laughs> I think this is the first time on the panel where the beer recommendations have sounded so much like statements from members in the house so-
2: <laughs> very official <laughs> well and it's so funny because as as i was as i was picking my recommendations it, i took notes when we went to the chamber dinner i took notes on the winners and and so many in District 12 won, but it was funny because as I made my recommendations, I'm like, hey, they won They won, uh Charlotte Area Commerce Awards. I'm going to get out what they were and give them a shout out. Mm. So it worked out beautifully. Absolutely. I, I, felt like
1: statement. I, I felt like I was <laughs> listening to the house right now. Um, <laughs> with this, we'll move on to you, Nate. What is your beer recommendation this week?
3: Well, first, I'll, I'll note the irony of having a panel for extending the voting age to 16 and 17 year olds when they can't drink alcohol legally. So, notwithstanding that irony, I will pick because I did make selections last time. I'll pick a new selection. I'll pick uh, Fireball because that's what I used to drink when I was 16 or 17.
1: We do not <laughs> encourage underage drinking on this show. Just putting that out as a disclaimer.
3: Nope. Drink responsibly, folks.
1: Um, so is fireball I, I your only I, recommendation I, today <laughs> i
3: i have i don't think i've had it since anyway i've moved on to some great uh craft beer but yeah the raspberry sour is my go-to and i also have an empty can of the south shore sour from lone oak right beside me uh which i also enjoy yeah uh, i should throw that can away and and uh, get a new can that's full of the wonderful sour
2: Awesome. Sours are
3: so delicious. I do love a good sour.
2: I think we can all be agreement
1: here about the sours. They're always so, so good. Um, so we'll move on to me next, I guess. Um, so my beer recommendation is the Broadside APA uh, from Copper Bottom. Um, so As always, we always try and have a story to go with uh, the beers. And, you know, Carla and Nate, you've presented two wonderful stories today, especially you, Nate. Uh, But I think uh, so on Tuesday this week, we were at the Trailside Music Hall, and it was my first time at Trailside since the renovations were completed. And it looks so swanky inside. I wasn't expecting it. I felt like I was in a very upscale jazz bar, and, you know, someone should be singing there. And someone was, and it was Shane Pendergast at his uh, album. Launch, second wind. So that's what I was drinking that night, and that's my recommendation for today. And we'll save the best for the last. Emma, what's your recommendation?
0: No, I wouldn't say best for last, but I don't know what it is, but every single episode, whenever you go before me, I always end up having a recommendation similar to you. I don't, it's just it's magical. I'll just say that. (laughs) So I'm I'm gonna piggyback off you. I'm also going to recommend a an APA, an American Pale Ale. Um, I'm gonna recommend the Yankee Gale from Lone Oak, another local brewery up in Borden Carlton. Um, and so the reason why I recommend it is um, the other night, I think it was Thursday night, um, one of my best friends and I, Sam McAdam, went to the Cow Pond Authentic Thai restaurant on Great George Street, and they had a, a selection of beer, and I got the Yankee Gale from Lone Oak. Anyways, I wanted to recommend those two local this is grape beer and the Cowpon Authentic Thai is the best Thai food on PEI mark my words it's so delicious anyways check them out um, they're awesome and, and another good business to support and I believe they're also in your district Carla
2: <laughs> they are yes and very delicious I would agree with you
1: mm-hmm. okay I haven't tried them yet so maybe that's going to be the next place I get take out from well, mm-hmm. thank you so much for you f- for being with us today, folks. These uh, these are all the questions that we had prepared. Um, we really enjoyed the conversations and the really interesting insight that both of you have provided to us today. And you know, we hope that the bill goes well.
2: Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for having us. This was fun. Mm-hmm.
1: Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day, everyone.
0: You too.
2: You too. Thanks.
1: Thank you. And that's all the time that we have for today, folks. Thanks again to our two guests, Emily Carla Bernard and Nathan Hood for guesting on the show and sharing their opinions with us. As always, our opening and closing music is Gaspé-Z by Shane Pendergast.
0: Shane Pendergast has a very exciting show coming up live at the Trackety Community Center. That is Friday, April 30th, 2021, 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Definitely check that out, shanependergast.com. Not to be missed. Stay warm and stay safe. This has been Dialogue.